Welcome back to Commitment Matters. If you're listening in real time, we hope you enjoyed a wonderful holiday season and are ready to kick off a new and prosperous 2022. If 2021 and 2020 have taught us anything, it's that you just never know for sure what lies ahead. No doubt you had some strategic plans for those two years that had to be partially or fully abandoned or at least seriously amended because of events on the ground. And while we're not out of the woods with any of this stuff quite yet, refis are slowing. You might have had a chance to catch at least a half a breath. And I'm sure you're wanting to lift your eyes up from the day or the week ahead and start planning for your growth and continued profitability. If interest rates head where they're predicted to go, or if inflation continues to bite into consumers' purchasing power, your transaction volume will go down. So it's likely you're going to need to explore and consider some new tools that can provide you with some greater efficiencies. So we're dedicating much of this season to in-depth discussions with some good providers in our space that just might be able to help you with some of that. Of course, everyone we feature won't be a fit for all of you, but we encourage you to give each a listen to see if something sparks your imagination or even just fills out your knowledge in a certain targeted area of expertise. Regardless of what's on your 2022 goals list, becoming more familiar with the specialists in our space will only enhance your core competencies and broaden your knowledge base. In today's episode, we kick off 2022 talking about the biggest threat to our industry today, that of wire fraud. Seems like we can't talk about it enough and the stories just seem to get more and more bizarre. Provider in helping solve for this threat is Closing Lock. And my guest today is its COO, Weston Conway. Now before Weston joined Closing Lock, He worked at a couple of other companies you might have heard of, Procore and Dropbox. Before that, he worked in investment banking, focusing on mergers and acquisitions in the software and the semiconductor industries. It's safe to say he's no slouch, and it's pretty cool that he found his way into our title and settlement arena. I was happy to discuss with Weston some of the nitty gritty on how wire frauds are evolving, because you can never be too current on that. Broadsters don't rest, so neither can we. And listen, I know this subject isn't fun or uplifting, but just one wire misrouted can mean the end of your business, so it's important. So please enjoy my conversation with Weston Conway. Weston Conway, welcome to Commitment Matters. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Mary. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you guys help take on such an important topic for agents and consumers today. And every one of our listeners knows about wire fraud. They know why it's important and they're, you know, actively trying to fight the fight every day. So let's talk about some of the things that they might be doing today and sort of how those things, while those things are better than nothing, some of those things might leave them more exposed to wire fraud still than they might think. So Let's start with encrypted or secure emails. And what's the area of risk for an agent who solely relies on those? I'd say encrypted email is by far the most used solution that we hear for people that are trying to prevent wire fraud. So it is a more secure version of email where the email is encrypted and it does require registration for the user. So they're going to go ahead and create a password and log in. So That's one of the pros of encrypted email compared to regular emails, the additional level of encryption. What we hear a lot from title companies that we talk to is there's really two problems with encrypted email. The first is around ease of use. All of you have probably received an encrypted email. It's going to ask you to register. It's going to take you through a bunch of different steps. 
you may have to forget your password or reset it. So it, it can be cumbersome. And I think one thing a lot of folks in the industry forget about is all we're doing this day in and day out, people that are buying homes are only buying a home every seven to 10 years, over a third of home buyers are first time home buyers. So this is all a new process for them and they're trying to figure it out. So we hear people, they'll get calls from their clients or they'll get emails saying, hey, this is just too complicated. I can't figure it out. I can't get in there. I don't know how to send an encrypted email back. So that's the first problem that we hear. But the second one, and this is, I think, the more important one, is these folks don't know what an encrypted email looks like. And a lot of fraud comes from spoofing. So people are pretending to be folks from the title industry. They're pretending to be realtors. You can still send an encrypted email as a fraudster, send something that your client thinks is an encrypted email with the fraudulent wiring instructions. So the real issue there is just that you're using email in general. When a fraudster sends an email, whether it's encrypted or not, there that client is, who again, isn't very you know, up to speed on the latest industry challenges, having to pick which of these emails is legitimate or not. And it's not usually the result of them hacking the encryption. They're just simply sending a completely separate email, whether it's encrypted or not, with fraudulent instructions. So that's really the big challenge that encrypted email doesn't solve. Even real estate agents who you do work with routinely and who are in this racket every day do not want to take time to go through the encrypted email nonsense. They'll call back and they'll say, God, can you, would you just send it to me regular? But I think the second piece is extremely informative. An impersonator, a fraudster, a spoofer can send something that looks like an encrypted email and it looks like it comes from you. So you've told the borrower, let's say, hey, it's only going to come from me and it's only going to be encrypted. That is just as easy to impersonate as not. Is that fair? Yep. Absolutely. That's absolutely right, Mary. Okay. So that's kind of scary. Another thing that some agents are doing, and they've taken on extra time and expense, but they've reverted to sending their wiring instructions out via snail mail. And there's a cover letter saying, you know, we won't change these, so don't respond to anyone who says that they have changed. And if you get something that they have changed, please call us. So that sounds a little bit safer, but sort of what about phone calls? What makes phone communication risky? Yeah. Well, quickly on the, the snail mail, we do hear that one a lot as well. And there's a lot of problems with that on the front end. If your company's doing hundreds or thousands of transactions every month, that's a lot of things to print. That's a lot of things to mail. It's making sure you have everything going to the right place. Two, remember that people that are buying or selling homes are undergoing some sort of life change where they're moving and they may have already forwarded their mail. Or they may have already made other arrangements. So the delivery rates on those tend to be pretty low. And you also have no really proof of mechanism of delivery. Maybe you got there, maybe it didn't get there on time. That one's also a very high probability of fraud. Now, they, the person who would be committing the fraud would have to know you're using snail mail, but all they would need is the address of the person and knowing that you are sending them a piece of mail. And it's just like an email, they're gonna get a physical letter in the mail. And how are they to know which of these is legitimately you and which is not? Because it's very easy to put your logo on a piece of mail. Well, and they're also in moving chaos and I don't know how many pieces of junk snail mail you get a day, but it's a lot. And if I don't recognize like that, the name of the company, or if I've forgotten, uh, odds are it might just go straight in the trash. And by the way, then your wiring instructions are floating around either to the misdelivered address or they've, they've gone unshredded into the trash and not reached the person with whom they were supposed to inform. That's absolutely right. You also open up the opportunity for someone to call your client and say, hey, we know we mailed something out to you. Did you get it? Hey, by the way, these wiring instructions have changed or you know, look for these additional instructions. So you, there's still just a lot of opportunity for fraud there. I understand that email has been the primary conduit recently. So people, some people are choosing to move technology forward and use other systems beyond email. Some people are moving backward and kind of saying, well, we'll just 
get rid of email and go to snail mail or checks. I definitely think snail mail can be better than email in some senses, but the burden there is extremely high. And it's the same thing for phone calls, Mary. So remember, for someone to place one phone call, not hard, but you're asking a lot of your staff right now. And if they're doing hundreds of thousands, again, as a team, to get those phone calls all placed is extremely difficult, especially in the era of car warranties and junk phone calls. Like most of the people listening to this, I don't take phone calls from numbers I don't know, which means that when your team attempts to dial out, the connect rate of people actually picking up that call is going to be very, very low. Then they're going to try to hopefully listen to the voicemail and they're going to call back, but your staff's on the line with someone else. So now they have a really bad experience where they have a a voicemail, they tried you back, they didn't get you. Now you're in this kind of phone mail tag and you, you you have to keep really accurate records of who you've verified and who you haven't. So it's just, it's a lot of additional burden on your team. And yes, it can be more secure if done correctly. But again, if you have all of these different methods of verifying or two different methods, it opens the door to ambiguity of, you know, who did what? Did we mail it? Did we email it? Did they call? Did we call? Do we have records of all that? It just, that chaos can really, you know, open up the opportunity for fraud. How do the hackers, the fraudsters, get the information to spoof a text or a phone call or intercept email? A lot of it comes from phishing. So the first thing that a hacker is going to need is they're going to need access to an email account that would have this type of information. So some very common targets for this are real estate agents, title companies themselves, or the actual clients that you're working with. So someone may have compromised an email account, but what they'll typically do in that situation is they won't take any action. They're just watching as email correspondence comes and goes, and they're looking for a target like this. Now, we always say there's three primary reasons why real estate is so vulnerable to fraud. These are the biggest transactions that people are going to do in their lifetime. They're not going to waste their time committing fraud on a pair of shoes you're buying on Black Friday because that's only going to get them 50 or 100 bucks, right? They're not going to waste their time on these other smaller transactions. But these real estate transactions are hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's worth them to wait around for these types of things. The second one is there's so many different parties involved in a real estate transaction and each transaction is different. So each transaction has a different realtor, a different buyer, a different seller, a different title company. For some of you that are in split states, you have multiple title companies, there's attorneys involved. It's very easy to not know who you're corresponding with. And it's also opening up six or seven different vulnerable points for someone to enter that transaction. All they have to do is get into one of those parties and they're gonna have all of the information that they need. And then they just wait. So I think that's really the key there. That's how they're doing it. Well, and I think that's so important for people to understand is I think a lot of people think, well, we haven't seen any activity, so we must not have have had a problem. But waiting for the big fish, waiting for the right opportunity, whatever that is. And to your point, not for $79 from Zappos. (laughs) Yes. Each of these, like Amazon and these other companies, they have budgets set aside for things like fraud, right? Because if something happens, it's not a big deal. But we looked at the data from Alta and the FBI and the average loss from business email compromise. So that's an industry term that basically means they either compromise the legitimate email and they're sending emails, for example, as you, Mary, even though it's not you, or they're spoofing, which is they create some sort of email that looks like Mary, but it's not. The average loss from one of those events is $96,000. So it's not something that you can say, well, we're comfortable doing this two or three times. It's really something where you have to be proactive about your approach and not lose any time. You know, we ask folks all the time, what's your budget for wire fraud loss? And no one has one. No one's saying, well, this is an acceptable amount of money to lose because every time it happens, it's very devastating. So that's really the unique challenge that the industry has is you really have to be perfect because any single incident can cost tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. We've even heard of instances 
that are into the seven figures. And there's just really no recourse for it. Yeah, it's bad. Well, and I know agents have been doing a lot to try to educate their, their consumers in the transaction about the risk of wire fraud. So has that helped? And, and how effective would you say that that educational aspect has been? It's helped in some senses, but we've actually heard examples where agents being more proactive can even hurt. So one example that we haven't talked about is some title companies we've worked with. They'll put their wiring instructions on their website and they'll say, hey, we'll never email you. We'll never call you. We'll never mail you. You have to go to our website to get the wiring instructions. But what they told us is that agents trying to be helpful to their clients would go to the website, download the wiring instructions or take a screenshot and then email it and say, hey, client, I'm being a really great agent for you. I'm going to go ahead and send the wiring instructions just to save an additional step. But that just completely breaks that security posture. <laughs> Best laid plans, right? Oh, yes. All right. So at Closing Lock, you guys have you have direct integrations with Resware and RamQuest. And so for customers of those softwares, what would their experience in their software be like when they use it to integrate with you guys? Whatever we do not only has to be secure, but has to be easy. And then the other thing you have to remember is there's two stakeholders in this equation. So there's the staff of the title company and their day-to-day operations, as well as the clients. Once we get everything set up through implementation, it's really just a couple clicks straight out of RamQuest. We're going to grab all of the information of the transaction and put it straight into closing block. So everything's coming in, the reference number, the client information, and they're just going to have to make a couple quick selections and it goes out. But then the cool thing is on the flip side, as information is coming back in through closing lock, we're pushing it straight back into RamQuest and Resware. So it's very easy. It actually makes your staff more efficient because they're able to more easily collect information through closing lock but they don't have to leave their current workflow in RamQuest today or in Resware. Okay, but we don't want to discourage anybody that's not on Resware or RamQuest, but I'm guessing you can still work with those folks. So what's their experience like? Over half of our clients don't use any sort of title production software integration at all. They're still going to log into Closing Lock, so we still have some things configured for you based on your team that's not like they're starting from scratch. They're just going to have to key in a couple pieces of information around the clients that they want to use Closing Lock with, as well as some basic file information. And we've actually built some additional configurations so that you can customize it more to your team. And if there's certain fields that you guys are never gonna fill out, we can actually just remove those for you. So we make it very easy. Good, good. Okay, so we talked a lot about wiring instructions and wire fraud. You guys provide more services, more benefit than that. Yeah, our bread and butter, Mary, is sending and receiving wire instructions securely. But what we're seeing a lot of folks do now is our e-signature capabilities. So almost every title company we work with has some sort of document that they're going to need signed alongside sending and receiving wire instructions. So they will work with us to template documents. And it's even cooler through the integrations with the title production software because we can pull over the relevant pieces of information for that file. And they can send templates straight through Closing Lock for clients to sign. So we hear a lot of buyer info sheets, seller info sheets, affidavits, you know, other kind of information collection. It's very easy for us to work with the team so that all of the fields are pre-populated. They can just simply click up one button and it's going to go out. It's going to come straight back through Closing Lock so you don't have to deal with, again, the hassle and the fraud of email. And you can even use Closing Lock to collect documents back. So a lot of clients are getting more sensitive to cybersecurity. They don't want to send copies of their social security card or their driver's license over email. They want that stuff in a secure portal. So they can do that through Closing Lock. And then the last one, this is really the newest flavor of fraud in the industry is payoff fraud. So what will happen now is fraudsters will send faxes or emails to title companies pretending to be the financial institution where the mortgage is held. 
and they'll say, hey, to pay off this mortgage, here's all the information. And Mary, I have to tell you, we see examples of these and they look really, really good. We saw one from Wells Fargo a couple weeks ago. Everything looked correct. It was exactly how a payoff letter is structured. It had the exact wiring number. The account number was a real Wells Fargo account number. It just wasn't the payoff account. And that's a really large amount of money. So you're not just wiring out the seller's proceeds, you're wiring off the mortgage payoff. And the other challenge with payoffs is you don't necessarily notice it went to the wrong place until several weeks later, the seller reaches out saying, hey, how come I still got a mortgage statement? I thought that was paid off. And as you know, time is everything when it comes to wire fraud. And it's, if it's been weeks since the money's been wired away, it's, it's long gone, you're not gonna recover it. So we do have a service that allows you to verify payoff accounts against our database. So we work with title companies all across the country. Think of it like a really extensive safe list that we work with hundreds of title companies. So it allows you to actually instantly look at the routing and account number of the payoff. And we'll tell you based on our database of verified payoff accounts, if that's valid. So not only does it help prevent really a huge growing area of fraud, it also saves your team a lot of time. Because if you're calling 1-800-WELLS-FARGO, trying to verify a payoff, it's going to be 30 minutes through a phone tree and you hope that you get someone that can help you where ours will take 30 seconds. Oh, that's so cool. Well, and I'm glad you brought up that example because I always like to hear and we always like to share success stories, risks avoided, deals saved, consumers and agents protected. So do you have a favorite one or two of those? And maybe it's this one. Were you able to stop that fraudulent Wells Fargo payoff? We were. We have several that they reached out and they just they would show us because we have a system where we can basically verify it or we'll come back and say, hey, we actually do know the payoff accounts and that is not one. We have several examples of success where we've been able to save folks multi six figures. And we collect those. We ask them, hey, send us the payoff statement because we want to alert our other clients. We think information sharing is a really important aspect of wire fraud. The other one that's it's not necessarily a success story, but I think it was a compelling reason that they chose Closing Lock. They actually brought us a list of several fraudulent payoffs they've had in the last six months. They said, hey, if we're going to use you, we want to see how you would have scored in some of our past issues. And we were able to point out the ones that were fraudulent as well as verify the ones that were successful. The advantage of our system is as more people use it, we gather more and more data. So as we grow our business, it only gets more and more effective. That is really cool. When you see trends or or something like that, do you guys issue a bulletin to your customers to say, here are these examples, here's what to look for? How do you guys disseminate that back out for the use of all your customers? Yeah, we do. So we have a regular customer correspondence. Our customer success team sends out what to be aware of, other tips and best practices. And the other thing is we really listen to our customers and we build feedback because especially with some of those integrations we were talking about, where one person's having a sticking point, five or six others may have that, but not mention it. So we've had several instances where we'll make one little tweak to the user interface for one particular customer, and we'll push it out and we'll send an email to all the customers using that integration. And we'll have four or five other ones reach back out and say, oh my gosh, this is a lifesaver. Thank you so much. So we think we really value the feedback from our clients because at the end of the day, the people that are in title and using the software day in and day out are gonna be our best guide for what we should be building and how we can solve some of their challenges. So that's been really big for us. Weston, that is so important. We see the same thing in our world. For whatever reason, a lot of times our customers, our users will kind of sit and suffer in silence with something that's just maybe maybe taken two, two clicks too many or, or something like that. This should be a public service announcement to say, please don't sit around in pain if something seems harder than it should be or why is this this way? That's information we as technology providers really want to have, right? Yep, absolutely. I'll, I'll share one 
particular example to, to brag about our product team. We've recently been working with a lot of home builders for them to protect their clients from wire fraud. And one default feature of our platform is we show a picture of the property. So we integrate with Google Maps. It's a nice feature. So when clients log in, they'll see an actual picture of the home they're about to buy or sell. But for home builders, that's a little bit of a challenge because these are new homes. So it's just a picture of an empty lot. And the CIO made just offhand comments saying, well, that's not really great for our clients. It doesn't really look very good. And that was on a call in the morning and they hadn't even signed up with us yet. And we emailed them that afternoon and we said, hey, the feature's done. We now have a toggle where you can turn that off. And he's like, holy cow, I didn't even ask for that. And this was like six hours ago. So it just shows you how quick we are to respond to our clients and really listen to what they want. Being in the business that you're in is especially important to be extra responsive and quick because everything happens so fast in this realm, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. And that's, you know, that's the advantage. In my background, I've always been really passionate about software that's focused on one particular industry because you can really get deep and solve your customers' challenges. Now, I've talked to friends who work at, you know, bigger tech companies like the Microsofts and the Googles, and they, you know, they make great software, but it spans so many different industries that they're always going to have to take the approach of, what can we do that helps the most people, but not necessarily specifically understand everyone's particular problems. But that's what I love so much about Closing Lock is you can really go to the conferences, listen to the folks, and you're, you're just dead set on solving their particular problem. It allows you to be way more thoughtful about how you approach product design and build something that really deeply solves their problems versus focusing on you know, what's kind of the broader swath of, of users across industries. Good. Well, and I don't want you to give up any financial information, but if I'm hearing this, if I, you know, listen to my podcast on Tuesday morning, I'm gonna think that sounds pretty good. But so I'll just ask it this way. Is it expensive? No. So we take the approach where we want to be successful when our customers are successful. So we have a usage-based billing model, which means when you use our product, we'll simply send you a bill every time you use it and you're welcome to leave whenever you want. So it's, there's no long-term contracts. We're not locking you into any big payments. We want to directly align our success with your success. And that also shows how confident we are about our platform is that's how we partner today. And we don't, we just don't want to be in, in conflict at all where we feel like we're successful when our clients aren't. So that's really helped us a lot. That's pretty cool. What next steps should they take if they want to know more? I always think it's best to reach out to us directly. You can go to closinglock.com. We have a form there you can fill out if you want to see a demo or learn a little bit more. Wesson, was there anything that you wanted people to know that we didn't cover in our conversation already? I think in general, I would say whether you use Closing Lock or something else, the biggest problem of wire fraud today is in emailing sensitive information. So you need to look through your policies and you need to think, what am I putting through email that shouldn't be in here? And how can I find alternative methods, whether it's Closing Lock, whether it's someone else, that's the fastest way to stop fraud today is just to get that out of email. And the other thing I would say is in this COVID environment, title companies had to be very reactive to new procedures and technologies. And a lot of them haven't spent the time just taking a deep breath, zooming out and saying, okay, we have a year plus of data. What can we tweak? What can we change? Because if you take five or six reactive steps, they might've each made sense at the time, but now you have a very broken process that you haven't really thought through or really had the chance to. So I, you know, having gone to the conferences and seen some of the other softwares in the industry, I'm really impressed by what people are building. Again, not just at Closing Lock, but across other software. And I'm starting to see the title companies that rise to the top do a really great job of embracing technology as a competitive advantage. So I would really encourage folks that work for title companies, that lead title companies, to really look at technology as something that can really grow your business and something that can also help you retain some of the top staff. So I think that's a good opportunity for everyone as they come into the new year. 
And I think it's great to just do a comprehensive overview, not only of your security and wire fraud prevention, but just technology, where it fits in your business and how you can use it to make your team better. Well, that's really good advice. And from everyone who's listening and everyone in the industry, I just want to say thank you to you guys for providing tools to help fight the fight. As you said, everybody's been so busy. Everybody's trying to do the right thing and they're trying to keep business moving while keeping consumers and their money as safe as possible. And sometimes that's very, very difficult to do. So from everyone, thank you for helping us fight this fight. We're all trying to do the right thing. Of course. Thank you. And I have to say, Tidal is an industry that when you go to a happy hour, not a lot of people know about. And I think that's because they do such a great job. Buying or selling a home seems like an easy process. And that's just because everything goes right. So just know folks in Title, you're the unsung heroes and you guys do a really great job and we're only here to support and help you. I think that was a beautiful way to end that, Weston. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Unsung heroes. We keep hearing that, don't we? Maybe someday someone will write the song and win a Grammy singing about our heroic efforts. Wouldn't that be cool? But in the meantime, we will keep protecting other people's money, protecting people's property rights, people's homes. Not because we need a song written about us, but because it's just what we do. Of course, Weston's contact info is linked in the show notes with this episode if you'd like to know more. And until next time, I wish you success on any New Year's resolutions you might upset. And before you go killing yourself, like throwing yourself at it for a few weeks and then just abandoning it altogether, can you maybe just revise it down a little bit and make it something more realistic, more doable, more attainable? Progress over perfection tends to win out in the long run. Also, ask yourself if there's enough music listening in your life. I don't know about you, but when I get extra busy, I can forget to do that. And before you know it, you're all bunched up and you're not exactly sure why. For lots of us, listening to our music tends to make everything a little bit lighter, a little bit better. And don't forget, you're kind of a big deal. If for no other reason, because what you do really matters. <laughs>